Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. So, John 15, verses 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we genuinely come with gratitude in our hearts this morning. We've spoken it in worship and in, in unison together. And yet now, again, we come to you and in our hearts, God, we just say thank you. Thank you that we get to be here and come before you together. And thank you, God, that you have preceded us here in this gathering. You've preceded us in all things You loved us before we could ever think to love you. And it's to that that we just want to respond this morning. And so, Jesus, thank you for your first work that in you all things consist. And and now, God, we ask that in this time as we open your word and as we explore and as I, God, as I desire to preach and teach in a way that is faithful and helpful, we just invite the power of your Holy Spirit to work to speak, to apply, to move. God, I have my best effort at a sermon, but our hope is not in Andrew today. Our hope is not even in anything or anyone other than you. We just look to you, Jesus, and, and we don't have to beg you to speak to us. That's the good news, but we do ask you to help us listen. Give us ears this morning to hear, we pray, what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. All right, we're going to get right into this here. We're a little behind with some announcements there, but as many of you know, last week we began the first of a, we'll see how many week long, mini-series here in John chapter 15 that we have entitled, Abide in Me. A great theme for us to wrap our hearts and minds around, especially as we begin a new year, this invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples. As he is, the context of John 15, I gave you guys last week the whole context of the Gospel of John. We won't do that again this morning. But I want to help remind you of the context of this chapter, John 15. Remember, the Gospel of John is a biography on the life of Jesus, one of four in the New Testament. And the Gospel of John especially is focusing on Jesus as the Son of God. And 
And here in John 15, almost half of the Gospel of John is dealing with the last week of Jesus' life, Passion Week. And here in John 15, Jesus, in his last week of his life, it tells us actually the context of him speaking to his disciples here. Here's a couple chapters earlier. This is John 13, 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, here's the setup or the backdrop to this chapter here. It's here's what Jesus knows. He knows that his hour has come. His time is at hand. And that he should depart from this world to the Father. Jesus came from the Father to the world. And now Christ is going to go to the cross. He's going to rise again. He's going to go from the world to the Father. He knows that his death is coming. And notice this verse here. I love this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. I just love that Jesus' love is not for just some seasons, but it's till the end. Amen? He loves us all the way through in and every season. And here he's loving his disciples really well. As anybody who's leaving behind loved ones would. He's loving them by doing everything he can in his own power to prepare them for his departure. He's leaving. And the Holy Spirit's coming. He's trying to get them to understand that. But, but there are some truths, some realities that Jesus wants to give them to reinforce to them before he leaves. And that is essentially all of chapter 14 through 17. I mean, imagine being with Jesus with these, for, with like, for like his final sermon. And he's given them this final download of the kingdom of God and this final intel about what life is like in him. And that's what's happening here. And then into, in, in John 15, as Jesus is kind of midway through this sermon, he turns to his disciples and he says this. I am, we just read it, the true vine. Let's back up for a second. A lot of content in this sermon that Jesus has given. A lot of directions, a lot of realities. A lot of helpful truths. You've got to think, Jesus is like, okay, what, what should I tell them? Your famous last words are important. You're thinking very hard about what you're going to give them. And isn't it interesting that Jesus found it so essential in all that the disciples wanted from Jesus, Jesus saw that what they needed most was a clear understanding of who he was. And I find this to be so true in my life as well. Oftentimes, what I think I need from God is explanations. You ever felt that way? God, before you say anything, God, don't do that. But God, before you say anything, here's what I'm thinking you, you should give me. Here's the kind of understanding I want from you. Here's what I want you to tell me. Here's what I think I need from you. And what I often find is that God is, first of all, wiser and smarter than me. And, and I found this as a theme. Oftentimes in my life, when I'm seeking explan an explanation, God often responds with a revelation of himself. I am. Here's who I am. I'm telling you, maybe today that's like something key for what you're walking through. You're trying to figure everything out, and what you just need is a fresh vision of who God is. You just need him to, sh need him to show up and say, this is who I I am, and you see God's character, and all of a sudden, that's your strength, right? That's your hope. That's the thing you start building your life on, not on your own understandings and ability to figure everything out. Amen to that? That's a hard amen, I know, but it's true. So Jesus here, he's about to leave, and he's like, here's what the disciples need to know. They need to know who I am, and of course, that's a theme of the Gospel of John. Jesus, the fulfillment, Yahweh, here in the flesh, I am, declaring who God is in Christ, who's displaying God. He is the bread of life. He's the way, truth, and life. He's the good shepherd. He is the true vine. That's what he says to them. Now, when Jesus is saying this to, to us, unless we're, you know, 
big snooty wine connoisseurs, you know, the idea of a vine and a vineyard is somewhat foreign from our Boca Ratonian ways of living. Uh, for, for the disciples, though, this imagery, look at this image of a vineyard I have here. It's a really beautiful image. This was a, an idea, a concept that, that was very familiar to them. There were vineyards all throughout Israel. The concept of, of God's work through Israel to produce grapes and fruit and wine for rejoicing was a central theme. And so they understood the illustration. When Jesus said, I am the true vine, they understood what he was saying. Jesus was saying to them that he is the only true, keyword true, source of the life they were created for. He says, I am the true vine. He goes on to say this in verse 6. We read this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So notice what Jesus is communicating here. He's like, here I am. Here's who Jesus is. And here's the best part about this. When, When Jesus declares who he is, he's saying, this is who I am for you. This is who I am. And this affects your life when you know who I am. Because of who I am, you get to live. So I am the true vine, Jesus says. I'm the source. When you attach to me, when you're branched into me, you're branched into true life. But then he warns that there's another way to live that is detached and disconnected from Jesus. And he says the result of that is going to be withering. We talked about the danger of false vines. Remember this last week? A couple head nods. False vines. Remember that last week? A couple more head nods. All right. Should I do it a third time? No, I wouldn't do that. That'd be weird, right? Last week, we, listen, we talked about how we have a spiritual enemy, a reminder of this, who will in times empower false vines in our lives. He, he, to get us to keep coming back to everything and any other power source, but Jesus false vines. In fact, that is the context. I believe this, that this is the greater context that Jesus is saying this in. Of course, there's an agricultural analogy here. Jesus is like, I'm the vine. If you want to bear fruit in life and be fruitful, you got to attach to me. And when you attach to anything else as the central source of your life, you're going to wither. He's saying that agriculturally, but there's a biblical image that Jesus is saying here that I think the context helps us think about. I mentioned this last week a little bit. Um, Prior to Jesus' teaching, I I want you to know this, that when Jesus is saying these words, this is really helpful and important. Jesus is teaching his disciples about who he is. But at this point in chapter 15, it's not in a classroom setting. In fact, chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, let's roll. That's what he says. It's a modern translation. They were at dinner together, and he's teaching them over supper. But then there came a point where he goes, okay, let's get up now. Uber's here, all right, so it's a van to fit all of us. And let us go from here. And of course, they were on foot, making their way towards the Kidron Valley. That must have been awesome. Walking with Jesus through the temple as he's given you the final download of his kingdom. Just, what a, by the way, what a way to learn. Anybody else like that? Like, I'm, I, I learn best when I'm active and moving, so I'm just thankful for you guys that are stationary right now and paying attention. I couldn't do what you're doing right now, okay? I've, I like podcasts, everything, even thinking, like for me, I have to go on a walk and that really gets it going. So what a cool opportunity disciples have here to literally walk with Jesus. And if our geography matches up, he's in a certain place having dinner and then he's making his way to the Kidron Valley and he's likely walking with the disciples through the temple, the Jewish temple. 
which is packed at this time of year. The disciples are small town boys. <laughs> and they are just marveling at Herod's temple. The architecture, the beauty, the grandeur of this creation. And as they're walking into the temple, what they would see as an archway above the temple, and what they would see on, on the bronze doors of the temple with Jesus as they're walking here, is they would have seen an embossed and an engraven golden vine on the temple. It was symbolic of who? Israel communicated a message for everybody that was bringing their sacrifice, everybody that was coming to temple worship, as they would walk through these doors, they were reminded of the Psalms of the Old Testament scriptures that spoke of Israel as God's vineyard. The idea was that if you wanted the kingdom of God in your life, you had to attach to Israel. Its system of worship and sacrifice and priesthood. That's the context on a walk with Jesus. That Jesus says, I'm the true golden vine. <laughs> I'm the true source of life. It's not plugging into these other systems. It's attaching to me. And then imagine you're the disciples. Let's pick it up from that spot now and move to this idea. Imagine you're the disciples. And then Jesus doesn't just say that he's the vine. But he looks at you and he says this. You get to be the branches. What a cool reality. These young men, these young boys, Jesus declaring that he's the hope of the world, that he's the source of true life. It's not going to be found in any more religious system living. It's not going to be found in the things of the world or any of the circumstantial seasons we look for it in. But true life is going to be found in Jesus. He says, I'm the vine, and here's what. Because you're in me, you are the branches. This is what God says to all of his followers. If you are in Jesus, Jesus looks at you and says, you know, apart from me, here's the reality, right? Apart from the vine, a branch is a twig. <laughs> right? I try to get my kids outdoors and, and you know, off the TV. They, their depravity just increases anytime a screen's on, or especially when the screen goes off. <laughs> Lord, you hear our prayer, you see our hearts mercy on my kids sinners um, and me Lord my kids are actually awesome so I feel like every week I'm just bashing how horrible they are but they're, they're great you should meet them not when you turn the TV off though don't meet them after the TV goes off but anyway so we try to get them outside and, and, and they, they're, they're primed to be able to gather up any twigs and, and have any fun that they can have. We've been doing little fires lately because you can only do it once a year in Florida. And so you make the most of it. And you think about that. I mean, apart from a, a, a branch, a branch detached from a vine, it's just, it's just a twig. It's, it's not, there's no power in it. It's dead. There's no fruit. That's true of us as well. Apart from Jesus, we're just, well, we're just twigs. Even the best of us. There, there's no... The power of the branch is not in the branch, it's in the vine, right? So now we get power when we're connected to Jesus. This is this amazing concept that he's communicating that the disciples are marveling at. And let me say this. This is the work of God. We could even say it this way. This is the primary work of God in the world today. God's primary work, if you haven't experienced this yet, 
if you're coming into faith in God, if you're exploring faith in God, let me tell you what God's first order of business with you is. He wants to branch you into Jesus. That's what he wants to do. The church has so failed at making this the priority. Yelling at the world, getting mad at twigs for not being fruitful. Why are you mad at a broken off branch for not bearing fruit? Our message isn't, hey, hey, twig, bear fruit. Our message is, hey, like us, we're nothing apart from Jesus, branch into him. Jesus, this is what God's primary work is up to, uh, what he's up to in the world. In fact, Paul says this about us in 1 Corinthians. He's, he's like, hey, I want you guys to take a nice, honest, sobering look around the church and see, you guys are all, your branches, you're in Jesus, but I want you to be reminded of how twiggy you would be apart from him. Hopefully you don't write that in your notes, I'm twiggy. Maybe, maybe you need to. I need to sometimes, okay. Paul's like, hey church, you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh. Not a lot of people in here because we passed the Jesus wisdom spiritual test. Not many mighty. Not, not many natural victors over sin and tendency. Not many noble high up on the spiritual ranking chart. Those are the ones that God has called. But notice this, there's not many of those, but here's who God has chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. The twigs. To put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. These are the branches that God chooses. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh can glory in his presence and say, look how awesome I am apart from Jesus. But look at this verse. I want you to see the work of the Father. And, if, and, and maybe today, the whole point of this talk and you gathering here is to have a fresh gratitude and confidence for the work that God has done. Not that you have done, but the work that God has done to choose you and place you in Jesus. But of God, not of you, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. In other words, I don't need to be who Jesus was for me to come to God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Of him you are in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the Father in your and my life. He plants us, branches us into his son so that we may have life. Anyone feel thankful for that this morning? I mean, genuinely. Don't get so used to church. Think about your life. Think about how dead and withering you would be without the Father, without his mercies, which are new every morning. We're prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone to lifelessness, but thanks be to God who has taken us and by his spirit branched us into Jesus. Now, here's an important shift here. What Jesus is teaching his disciples, back to John 15 in our minds, what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in John 15 about the Father's work to take twigs and make them branches in the vine, sources of fruitfulness in life, which is insane and awesome. What he's teaching his disciples, this is a key idea for the rest of our series here. The, the idea that Jesus is teaching is that this work of the Father to branch people into the vine Jesus, to have true life, it's the first order of business. 
It's his priority, but it's not the full order of business. In other words, branching you into Jesus is not where God's work ends, but it's where it begins. You with me? So he's branched you into his son, yes, to have eternal life, but as a means to life here and now. He gives a vision for a life that's been saved from withering and saved to Jesus that is displaying fruitfulness in all areas of life. Jesus talks about the purpose of the Father branching us into Jesus is so that we may, let's all say it, bear fruit. Let's say it again, that we may bear fruit. It's the work of the Father, his grace over you. He saw your life detached. He attached you to the Son, and his vision for you is more than just being attached, but his vision is that through being, being branched in, his kingdom would branch out through your life. He would bear fruit through you. In fact, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Look at John 15, 16. You did not choose me. You didn't tap on my shoulder and get my attention. But I chose you. And he's speaking literally to the disciples here. He's like, I literally chose you guys. I was like, you, you're on my team. Get over here. Matthew, Peter, be quiet. Get over here, okay? You didn't, you didn't choose, choose me. My grace sought you. Why did I seek you? Why did I find you? Why did I choose you to appoint you that you should go and say it? Bear fruit. One more time, say it. Bear fruit. Just bringing you back in. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Here's Jesus' vision for your and my life. He says it again in chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. This is interesting, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So Jesus is like, as you go out into the world, the literal translation there of so you will be my disciples is so that all will know or so that it will be confirmed that you are my disciples is what that means. It's not like I can't be a disciple until I bear fruit. So no, discipleship is on the other side of coming to Jesus. It's what it means to come to Jesus is to follow him. But Jesus says this here. What an interesting marker. Like all will know that you're my disciples. Not by what you know. Not even by your routines and your rhythms. Not even, not even by how you spend your Sunday mornings when everyone else is sleeping in right now or waking up to their coffee. But all will know that you are my disciples. The evidence of the work of my spirit in your life, the evidence of you being attached to Jesus is going to be the fruit that you bear. You're going to bear fruit. That's the evidence. This is how the Father gets glory from our lives. I think so much of Christianity today is focused on tactics and working and, and these metrics of productiveness and success, whatever that means. Like, can we just throw that all out for a second? Like, Let's simplify however long you've been walking with Jesus. Here's God's priority for your life today, that you would bear more fruit, that you would be fruitful for his glory. He wants you to be fruitful. A uh, way to think about this, and there's some biblical ideas around this, there's a, a, the idea of fruit coming from your life has a lot of different implications. Um, I mean, obviously we know what fruit is, so that, that helps. I'm more of a fruit guy myself, personally, not much of a veggie guy. Let's divide the room. Fruit people? People who are weird and like vegetables? I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. I'll eat a carrot. 
But don't put that in juice. That's a vegetable. What are you doing? Okay, sorry. When Jesus talks about bearing fruit, the idea there of a tree, he talks about this a lot, the fruit of our lives. I think he has in mind this idea of bearing fruit both internally and externally. Here's a way to think about how God wants you to be fruitful. Here's his vision for your year, we could say that. That there would be fruit in your life. The kingdom of God, being attached to Jesus, would produce fruit in your life. And that through you being in Jesus, there would be fruit that comes from your life. And, and let me say this, you can't have fruit from your life if there's not fruit in your life. If you want to be, if you want to be effective for Jesus, you have to be affected by Jesus. The more affected you are by Jesus, the more effective you'll be for Jesus. And conversely, if you have fruit that's being birthed in you, it's not just for you. Your fruit is for others. Amen? God produced fruit in our lives so that it might come from our lives so other people can be blessed. I mean, how many of us would acknowledge today that we're where we are today because of the fruit of someone else's faith? All of us. Someone that abided so much in Jesus that their fruit was benefited to our account. We see biblical precedent for this. Galatians 5 talks about fruit in our life, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Come on, VBSers. is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you. I look at the list. I'm like, God, I need those things in my life. I often see the opposite. I mean, you look at your life today. Is there love? Is there genuine love for God and others? Is there joy? Is there peace? Gotta love this word. Is there long suffering? I think that word is long, you know, for a reason, you know. It's like I've, I've suffered for them in Jesus' name. Long, long suffering. Kindness. When did it become popular to be a Christian jerk, by the way? Why is that such a thing? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God wants to produce these things in our lives. That's why it brings us to Jesus. He also wants there to be fruit from our lives. Look at Colossians 1. For this reason, Paul prays for a church that, they would, that there would be fruit from their life. He's, in Galatians, it's fruit in their life. In Colossians, he says, since the day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may, check this out for your life this year, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being, this is what we want from God, that we would be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, we, I just think of Easter and I just go, God, with this outreach you're calling our church to, produce fruit in us. And may we be fruitful in every good work. It's not about how many people show up. It's not about these metrics that we can live by. God, may there just be fruit that you produce. We might not see that in the moment. Sometimes you have to not grow weary when you're sowing, by the way. You know what I mean? You know the kind of fruit that you have to wait for? Anybody else been in that kind of relationship? Where you're like, not seeing a lot of fruit. Want to cut down this tree. Don't grow weary. In due season, in due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. Fruit in our lives, fruit from our lives. Be fruitful. Now, stop there. 
Come to Jesus. He's the source of true life. It's the work of the Father. Of God, you are in him now. You went from a twiggy life to a branchy life. What a vision, too, that we would be branched into God for him to branch his kingdom out through us. I mean, you look at the guys he chose for this that he's talking to. They're like, we're the branches of the kingdom. All right, let's do this. Not the religious. I mean, these guys like us weren't the cream of the crop, right? They weren't at the top of the religious system. They're the ones he chose. And he says, here's the vision, bear fruit. My father's glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, right now, as you hear this, I wonder what you're thinking. As you're reminded today that God wants there to be fruit in your life and he wants there to be fruit from your life. How do you start to strategize? A lot of us, if we're honest, we start to go, I need to stop doing some things. Or maybe you go, I'm not fruitful because I, I, I'm not doing enough things. Anybody else naturally do that, by the way? How can I be more fruitful? In fact, some of these messages are so annoying. It's like, be fruitful. You're like, okay. And try. Can I remind you, God never calls his people to do anything that he doesn't empower and enable them to do. That's why it's awesome being a Christian. Because we're not like, oh, we got rules, let's keep the rules. Let's try. No, it's like, oh, no, you see, God is actually in us working what he wants us to do. And so where your mind naturally goes to working out, I want, like, you know, producing something. It's been well said, like, this is such a classic line that you hear. There's just some, there's just some like Jesus New Testament Christian ideas. I just wanted you to know you will always hear them, okay? And I will keep the tradition going with some of those things. And one of those things you've probably always heard is the idea that, you, you know, you've never seen an apple tree trying to force fruit out of itself. Like, ah, like, come on, work harder. There's, there's no grunt, there's no striving, Right? There's no vineyard that's fruitful bringing rejoicing to the whole town because it worked really hard for the result. And and though, listen closely, though this series is called Abide in Me, and though in the weeks to come we're going to talk about how to be vessels of God's life and work and how we can restrict, we can restrict the flow of the kingdom of God in and through our lives. Jesus wants our minds off of us in this first. Are you with me? Let me say it this way. Jesus teaches us something about the Father, about God and his work to make you fruitful that precedes any of your efforts. Before you ever take a striving single step towards being fruitful for God and having fruit in your life, And having fruit from your life, before you make any effort towards that, Jesus teaches us here that the Father, God, is actively at work in your life right now, especially if you don't see it, making you fruitful. God's not up in heaven going, come on, let's see some fruit. I'm up here, I'll see you when you get here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and notice this, my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk more about that word, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, notice this, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I think one of the biggest travesties that's come out of John 15 is we've made this chapter all about what we do. When in reality, Jesus is teaching us that our fruitfulness and our fruit bearing and our abiding is actually the working out of something that God is working in. We're not working for something here. Jesus said, come to me all who are are exhausted from that kind of life and find some rest. Because when you come to Jesus, you don't get a to-do list, you get a sufficient father who makes you powerful and capable and sufficient to do what he's called you to do. And a lot of you have given up on this thing because you've made Jesus about religion. And he's just calling you back to being a child of a father again. And this is one of the main things that Jesus, you know, his ministry, especially in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, one of the main things Jesus is up to is, listen to this, revealing the father. Revealing God the father. God as father, his father. More in the Gospel of John than anywhere else. And I want to say a quick word uh, about this. In Jesus' theology, here's what Jesus believes. That you understanding who God is as father is central to your faith. Not just if you had a broken relationship with your dad. Now, knowing God as father will redeem that. Amen? But Jesus says, like, I think sometimes we've taken the fatherhood of God and we've, like, reduced it to people that need better dads. And it's made people like you, maybe, who had a great dad go, I don't, you know, okay, yeah, God's a father, I know what a good, and, you know, Jesus actually goes, even the best fathers, like, knowing, you know, do good, but they're still evil, they're still broken. And so what we need, listen, all of us, Perfect father or imperfect father, present father or absent father, God wants you to know him as dad in a special personal way. In a fresh way, it's what the Holy Spirit's producing in our lives, that you would know him as father. Jesus believed that this was central. It's what he came to do. In John 17, he's like, I I declared your name, father. I've let people know who you are and what you're like. And hold on. Don't miss this. What a revelation of the Father. What a revelation of God the Father here in John 15. Like, I don't know what your view of God is, and hopefully it involves some view of God's greatness. Like, this morning I was up really early. It was really cold. I was up early. And just, anybody catch the sunrise this morning? Anybody catch it? A couple of you? You guys are all sleeping. All right. Maybe you've had some experience like that where you just caught a vision of how great and grand and large God is. He is so massive and strong and powerful. There's nothing too hard from him. But this great God is also personal. He's a vine dresser. Don't make God so big that you don't see him to be involved in your life. I'm not saying that God is any smaller than you make him to be. But he is as personal and aware of your life and the details of your life that he is large and grand. Jesus describes him this way. I mean, the disciples, their minds in this moment are blown. The father's a vine dresser. 
they, they understood the role of a, of a gardener, a divine gardener is this idea that, that the vine dresser who cares for the vine and the vineyard and the, the branches to bear fruit. The image of God here is that God, I want you to think about this, is what Jesus is saying about the Father in your life, that the Father is personally, carefully, I need this one, patiently and skillfully involved in your life. And he is committed to your fruitfulness. Anybody need that today? I don't know about you, but I get out of bed a lot. And I'm just like, I need to do more, God. And he's like, just shh. Shh. I'm already doing it. I'm working you to do what you want to do. I mean, getting a vision of the preceding work of the Father carefully, personally, that's what a gardener would do. A gardener, the, the idea here is it's like a shepherd that knows his sheep. Don't think of like the guys that show up at your house and... Some of you guys are like, that is my life with God. No, it's not. There's an intimate relationship. The, the vine dresser knows the details of each vine and branch. He knows your life. He knows what you're walking through. More than you do. That's hard, right? He knows what he's doing. And he's doing something. He's trying to make you fruitful. His technique is probably not preferred. I mean, I wish the technique was you just go to church, you learn stuff, and you're fruitful. We all know that doesn't work. Keep coming to church, I'd recommend it. But Jesus says the way that he works is he does this thing called pruning. He prunes. That's how the Father makes us fruitful. He prunes our lives. He prunes us. Now, don't think of prune like the thing you eat, like a prune, okay? Um, I learned this from the internet because I don't know anything. Um, pruning. I should have not showed you this slide and just read it like I knew what I was talking about. Pruning is trimming a tree, a shrub, a bush, or in this case, a grapevine, by cutting away any dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness or growth. This is interesting. This is how the Father works to make us fruitful. He sees dead things in our lives that we might not, we go, no, I want that to live. And he's, and here's the, here's the hardest part. The vine dresser doesn't ask the branch for permission. Hey, I'm going to cut that away now, okay? Cool with that? He loves the branch too much. So he prunes, he cuts away. I want to point out another detail I found on the internet, and I don't know about you, I, I believe everything I read on the internet, and so it was also a .gov website, so double whammy. I noticed this is a, this is cool. Did you know that there's a difference in the gardening community? There's a, di that's, a that's real. There's a difference between pruning and shearing. Um, pruning is when you're selectively, intentionally seeking to produce fruit in a certain, you're, you're inspecting, you're going, okay, it's more focused and deliberate. Where shearing is more about sculpting and shape, it's a little bit more indiscriminate. And here's the simple thing I read on the internet. Pruning is the process when indiv individual branches are cut selectively. Shearing is the pro process when all branches are cut indiscriminately. How many of us today 
have bought into a theology that sees God as a shearer who's just cutting away at our lives indiscriminately with like holy hedge trimmers. And that's not the picture. The picture here is of a faithful father that knows his kids better than they know themselves. And he meticulously and carefully comes with the pruning tool to cut away what he knows needs to be cut away. I think the picture here of pruning has a couple different meanings and interpretations. I think, first of all, there's a, there's a literal interpretation here. Like, God will literally cut things out of your life that he deems dead. Relationships, workplaces, seasons, habits, ways, he'll cut them out. And after we're done, you know, being upset about it, he'll produce fruit through it. So there's literal, I think this is literal, he cuts things out. You ever had that? By the way, getting, you know, your, getting your branches cut hurts. It's like, ow! That's one of the biggest tests of love, by the way. Any true, any true love is willing to offend or hurt the beloved for the sake of its good. It's true love. I think this has a general meaning, too, like just life. God will allow things in our life. I think there could be a disingenuous interpretation here where, like, you know, I, I mean, I lost my mom. My mom passed away at a really young age when I was, for me, I was very young. I was still navigating boyhood to manhood at 19 years old, 18 years old, sorry, 20 years old, and still. And I can't tell you how many things, how many Bible verses were just thrown at me about, oh, well, this is what God's doing. I'm like, shut up. My mom's not here, you know? And I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear that if you've experienced loss or suffering that God was just cutting something. No. But what Jesus is saying here is that the Father is still good, he's still faithful, and he still knows what he's doing. Even when you can't see it. And he works all things, even the worst of things. And he can bring the greatest beauty out of the ugliest stuff. And then lastly, we'll close as we bring the team out for our final moment here. I think there's a biblical meaning of the Father's work here. I don't think that. I know that because Jesus says that this is one of the ways he prunes. The last way, he tells his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And certainly we can take that verse and we can apply it to the good news of the gospel, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you're not saved by your works, but you're saved through receiving God's word. But the meaning here is actually contextually more about Jesus' ministry to the disciples over the past three years. The word there, clean, is the same word as prune. It's the same, it has the same usage, same meaning. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, the Father is working in your life. And as I'm saying this to you, a lot of you today are like, yeah, he's, he's done, did some pruning in my life. And one of the main ways he's done that is, notice this, one of the main tools. We could say even like his shears, his clippers, is his word. Some of us have been avoiding our Bibles because of how much it hurts sometimes. And I feel like the Bible should have come with like a, a disclaimer on it, like a pack of knives or something, you know? Handle with care, it's sharp. It will offend you, it will cut you. It's sharper actually than any two-edged sword. 
It'll cut right to the heart of the matter, and that's what God uses. He uses his word. Why should I be in God's word? So God can prune some things out. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible. I'm just like, you're cutting that out. Cutting right to the heart of that matter. (laughs) So this is who the Father is. I want you to see this last verse, and we'll close it with a time of response here. One more time, as we, you can close your Bibles now and just focus your attention here on the screen. Jesus says this to you and me today. Let's just center around this as we spend a moment with the Father. I'm the true vine. My Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So as we go into just a closing time here of response, I, I think that the Holy Spirit, I believe this actually right now, that the Holy Spirit has spoken things from his word to you today. And you don't need me to try to apply God's word to your life in the categories we've talked about. But what I want to encourage you to do is not leave here without bringing them to your Father. He's looking at your life. He's forming you more than you're forming yourself. He loves you. He knows you. He is most qualified to be your God. And maybe he's pruned some things. Maybe some things have hurt. Maybe today your prayer is just, God, this hurts. Help me trust you. God, give me eyes to see who you are. God, I have lost sight of your care and hands in my life. Seal that truth into my heart. Let's take a moment here. Create a secret place in your heart before God. Bow your head, close your eyes. Let's go before God for a moment. I want to encourage you to commune with your father here. This is about you and him. Talk to him, speak to him, bring what's on your heart to him.